I've been wrestling with purpose. What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars, I'm skinned and scarred. Marred and twisted, scarred by the past I need to be lifted. And sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time. Life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind. And something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface. Great to see you guys today. Thanks so much for being here. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. We love you guys. Let's also give it up for our prison campuses as well. Thank you for being a part of our services. Grateful for you. Our mission statement, I'd like to say this if I can real quick, and then we'll kind of get into things. But what are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. Thanks so much for being a part of our services. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much to Pastor Nate. Didn't he do a great job last week? I'm so grateful for him stepping in for me. He did a great job. So, so thankful for him. We have an amazing youth minister and youth ministry here, and uh, in our college ministry, he's doing a great job with that as well, and so just very grateful for him, and I needed it. I, I, uh, I, I pulled my back really bad last week, and uh, to the point I couldn't move, and I, I told my wife, I haven't had this kind of debilitating pain since I had surgery 15 years ago on my back. And so it was, it was bad. I was like, what is going on? And then this week has been, just to be honest with you, a really tough week. And even to the point where I said, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't talk on what I'm talking on this next week. And maybe I should just chill. And I really felt like that was the Lord was telling me at that moment. He was saying, no, this is why you're being attacked. Because what you're about to talk on is that important. The reason you're being attacked is because the devil doesn't want you to get what I have to tell you today. The devil doesn't want you to be empowered. He doesn't want you to be blessed. He doesn't want what, he, what God has for you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say right now? There's a battle in the unseen world. There's a battle in the unseen world going on today, and we are not going to let the devil win. We are going to become the victors that God has called us to be. So I'm fired to preach to you today. I'm excited about what God has to tell you. Who's excited to hear God's word today? All right. Who believes God has something for them today? Who believes that? How many of you guys believe that? Well, I want to talk to you today about the blessing of generosity. Clearly, I said that wrong. Clearly, my delivery must be a problem here. I want to talk to you guys today about the blessing of generosity. That was a setup. What's going on here? 
God has a lot to say about generosity. And the truth is, is that you and I are the most like God. This is number one. When you give. You're the most like God, actually, when you give. In fact, it says in the Bible, very clearly, it says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only son. So for the next two weeks, I want to talk to you about how to be the most like God. You are more like God when you give than any other time. In fact, when this statement popped out at me, it really hit me like a ton of bricks that when I look back at my life, when I have been the closest to God, living by faith the craziest moments of my life, when it's like, I'm all in for you, God, I also happen to be doing what I consider for myself, for my life, massive sacrifice. They always go together. When we are most like God, we are a generous people. We are giving of ourselves to others, giving of ourselves to God in a huge way. And I want to unpack that for the next two weeks we're going to talk about this. And so, you know, as I talk about that, how many of you guys would honestly say, raise your hand, this is you, would you honestly say you are a generous person? Just honestly, if you feel like you're a generous person, just raise your hand. It's okay. I'm not setting you up. I'm just asking. It's okay. You're like, I don't want to raise my hand now. I'm just scared what he's going to do to me, right? How many of you guys would honestly say that you say, I feel like I'm a generous person? How many of you guys would do that? I feel like I am, right? Okay. I appreciate your honesty. That's good. You know, how many of you guys feel like you're a giving person? Feel like, you, 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 like when you're asked to give, you, you like to give, right? Okay. I think a lot of people feel that way. But here's the thing. Giving and being generous are actually two different things. See, to, to give is, is when there's a need, you, you meet that need. And that's a great thing. And we are most like God when we are giving, right? But to be generous, let me define generosity. This is, this is how you know you're living a generous life. To be generous is to orient your life around the thrill of being used by God to make a difference. That's very different, isn't it? Oh, well, I mean, I give, but I don't orient my life around the thrill of impacting people, uh, around giving. See, to be generous is to orient our life around making an impact, making a difference in other people's lives. Now, here's the thing. Let me tell you two quick truths, and we're going to dive into this. I know I've already given you point one, but I want to give you a couple, couple of truths here. This is, this, this is a reality. The first is this. Most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. In fact, how many of you guys, raise your hand, honestly, if you, if you just know you're rich. Just raise your hand. You're like, if you, man, you know you're, I appreciate it. Some of you guys, okay. Some of you guys get it now, but how many of you guys feel rich? Very few people do. Some of you do. That's great, because maybe you've come from a place where you had very little and now you have something, and so you feel rich, and that's a wonderful place to be. Like, if you have sort of climbed the scale economically, many people who have done that rapidly are the ones who actually feel rich. But most people, frankly, are rich in America and don't feel rich. But the reason why is because we're, we're, we have a tipped scale. We're comparing ourselves to other people in a rich country. Does that make sense? Like, so, so we don't feel, it's, it's, like, it's like a beautiful girl being in a room full of beautiful girls and feeling ugly. Well, when you're not ugly, you're in a room full of beautiful girls, and you're beautiful too. Does that make sense? And so we, when we compare ourselves in a rich country and ask the question, am I rich, we always feel like we're poor. But let me give you a couple stats. Did you know that if you have access to a car on a regular basis, then you are among, depending upon the study, the six to nine, somewhere between 6 and 9% wealthiest people in the world. If you have regular access to a car. I didn't even say you owned it just if you have regular access to it, then you are among the top 6 to 9% of wealth earners in the world. Not to mention if you own a house or live in a house. Oh, I mean, your wealth is off the scale from a world standpoint if you have a house. I don't care how bad you think your house is. If you have a house, 
You're doing really well. You complaining about, well, my house isn't that nice, is the equivalent of someone in our culture complaining to us and saying, well, my private jet's not that nice. That's what it sounds like to the rest of the world when we say, well, my house is not that nice. But you have one that's huge. In fact, let me tell you, most of us are going to go out today after the sermon, and we are going to go sit in a restaurant where someone else comes and takes our order. We tell them whatever we want. They go in the back, make it, bring it to us where we eat this meal. And then we just leave money on the table, and then we get in our cars, top 6%. We get in our cars, and we drive to our home. And here's the craziest part. When we pull up to our house, we push a button, and a door opens. <laughs> you know how ridiculous that is? And what's more ridiculous, we pull in to not just our house, but our cars have a house. <laughs> Do you know how insane that is? Our vehicles have houses. That's how much wealth we have in this country. So the first truth I was just going to lay on you was that most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. But here's the second truth. Most Americans think we are generous, and we aren't. So we, we, we feel like we're not rich, and we are. We think we're generous, and we actually aren't. In fact, did you know that the average American gives 2.8% of their income away annually? That's it. Some of you went, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> That's actually a paltry amount compared to how we live. The average American gives 2.8%. Now, before you say, well, I mean, if I was earning more, I would increase it. Okay, actually, we found that those that make between $100,000 and $200,000 a year, so you're the upper, upper echelon of American income, they give 2.6%. It lowers it. It doesn't raise it. So the whole concept of, well, if I made more, then I'd give more, not true statistically at all. Actually, the more you make, typically the less you, you get give percentage-wise. And so the truth is, is that we actually, honestly, are really not that much of a generous people. But, but people have given to you. God has given to you in a huge way, I bet. How many of you guys would agree with that? You say, God has, has blessed me, I got to admit. We're a blessed people, right? We have to admit that, it's true. Now, I will tell you this, I believe you're a generous people, because our church is one of the most generous churches I've ever seen. And so I'm grateful for that. So I'm not trying to run you down today. I have seen amazing generosity over the last 20 years of pastoring this church. It blows my mind, the generosity. And we're going to unpack some of those stories, in fact, in the next two weeks. are just simply mind-boggling, mind-blown type stories of generosity. Before I go any further, I want to stop. This weekend's a big weekend because it is Veterans Weekend. We're celebrating that across our country. And if there's ever a group of people who are the finest people of our nation that have given beyond what anyone should ever ask them, it is clearly veterans. Please check out this video. I state your name. I, I swear. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That, that I will support, support and defend. defend. And the uniform called 
God. So help me God. Country, you need compassion. Would you please stand to your feet at all of our campuses so we can honor you for your service? Please stand to your feet. Let's give these great men and women the honor that they deserve. We honor you today. We are so grateful, and you know, there's every group of people that knows what honor and service and giving is all about. I, 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 I can't even go any further, or I won't be able to finish this sermon for all the service you've given us. Thank you. We are so grateful for you, for your families, the sacrifice they make as well. We're incredibly grateful. You know, today as we talk about giving, we really are most like God when we give. We don't think we are, but in those moments when God pricks your heart, and we've all had that, where you weren't going to do something, and then you said, I got to do something. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? When you didn't, you didn't set out to do that, but then something inside you said, uh, no, I, I, I can't walk by this one. I have to do something. It's God speaking to you powerfully because he wants to show his grace and his love through you to a world that desperately is asking the question, is God real? And nothing makes God more real than we, when we are generous to others, when we are making a difference, when we are giving. It's a big deal to become generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, because I believe there's a reason why most people don't give and it may surprise you because a lot of people, by the way, let me just stop before I even get to this. Let me just say this. A lot of people say, I... I I believe in giving, I just can't. A lot of people say that, like, I mean, I really, I want to give more, I just, I'm scared to do it. I think it's very normal. I don't think the average person says, I don't give because I just want to be selfish. I don't think the average person believes that. I don't, I don't think you believe that. I think what holds us back from giving is not the, the idea of, I want to keep it all for myself. I don't think anybody says that. I think it's more like, I want to give, I'm scared to give more because I don't know if I can cover my bills. Like, if I were to increase my giving, how would I pay my rent? How would I pay for my car? How would I pay my insurance? How would I put food on the table? I mean, Pastor, I want to give more. I just don't think I can. I think most people honestly live fearful financially. We're just scared, thinking, am I going to be able to, to meet the bills? It says in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, For God loves a, a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So I want to challenge you with this. Number one, number one was that we are most like God when we give. And number two, would you write this down? Most people do not give out of a scarcity mindset, but God provides. Most of us don't give because we're, 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 we're afraid. We're scared, thinking, I don't have enough. If I give this, what am I going to do? I'm going to need something left over to be able to meet the, the needs that I do have. And so scarcity becomes a cycle. Here's what the cycle looks like. Maybe you have lived this cycle before. I know I have. Here's what the cycle looks like. God supplies then we consume, we lack, we fear, and we consume again. Anybody can relate to that? It's a scarcity mindset. You're like, well, so, so I get a paycheck. God provides, right? Then we consume it, and then we're scared because we're like, oh, man, I, don't, I got more months left than I got money, right? And so then we, we, we lack, we fear, and then we you know, get paid again eventually. Whew, barely made it to the next paycheck, and then we consume again. And we live in this scarcity mentality. Is this you? Let me ask you, you ever said this? I just can't seem to get ahead. I'm always going to struggle. I just wish I could give more. Anybody relate to that? Like, I mean, I, I just, I'm just always going to struggle. It's just who I am. It's just, it's, it's just, that's how we roll. My family, we're just not good with money. You ever thought that? You ever said that? You know, it's just, that's just the way it is. And a lot of people feel that way, but God has something so much bigger and better for you. There's a little girl that her daddy gave her $2 
they were out at the mall, and, and, uh, and he gave them $2 and said, okay, no, sweetie, before you go spend that, $1 for God, for God's church, okay? And the second dollar, you can spend on anything you want. She said, anything? He said, anything. And she looked, and she said, dang, there's a candy store right there. She said, you can spend it there if you want. So she takes off running. She's so excited, and she's running. She's one of those outdoor malls, you know? And so she's running, and when she's running, she trips and falls in her cute little dress, and she drops her $2 bills on accident when she falls, and one of the dollar bills slips through the crevice and goes into the drain, and she can't reach it. She gets up, grabs one dollar bill, dusts herself off, and says, sorry, Lord, that was your dollar, and goes and buys some candy. <laughs> Is that you? You're like, we think, well, but uh, Lord, you could have that dollar, but I don't have enough, so... You ever notice God always gets the short end of the stick on that? And we always make sure we get our candy. But, you know, the Lord, sorry, Lord, it's not going to work out for you on this one. It's funny how we never feel like we have enough. But, but here's the thing. God actually wants you to do this, number three. He wants you to begin a new cycle of supply today by giving generously. A new cycle of supply. So there's a cycle of scarcity. Here's what a cycle of supply looks like. God supplies. We give. First off, God multiplies that, builds our faith, and then we give again. So cycle supplies like this. We, we, we get paid, right? God supplies, then we give, then God multiplies that gift back to us and to others. We're blown away by his generosity back to us. Then that builds our faith, which makes us want to do what? Give again. And so it creates the positive cycle of God's supply and his blessing. It says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So when you give and then God blesses you in return, what are you supposed to do with that? Give more. And then go, what, what happens next? Then God blesses you in return with more and then you give more. And it becomes this positive cycle. And you say, well, is that all I do? No, no, you live on that too. That happens as well. God didn't ask you for an unreasonable amount. He's a fair God. And so you say, yeah, but I mean, I know what the Bible says, Pastor. It says 10% of like my, my income. That's a lot of money. Well, if it's really a lot of money, you must be doing good. I mean, if it's really like it's so much money, well, then this shouldn't be a problem. He said, but 10%, I mean, it's like that's going to require me to sacrifice, right? It's going to require me to like change my lifestyle. Uh-huh. It's going to require me to do things differently. I'm going to have to kind of orient my life around this whole, oh, you mean like be a person of faith like that? You mean like, like a disciple, like someone who's not living for yourself, but living for the Lord, right? It's just enough to make us think about our purchases, to make us think about how we live, to make us reorient our life, to make sure that, well, I, we could get that kind of house, but Let's go with a little less because I want to make sure we provide for God's house. Well, we could drive that kind of car, but let's go with a little less because then we can make sure that we always have something to give to others. Well, we could, you know, have that lifestyle, but let's, let's chill a little bit because then we can make sure that we put God first. Isn't it funny how it does that to us? It's just enough to make us think about our giving. There's a story of a single mom. Her name was Nancy. She was a single mother. Uh, she was at, at church, and, uh, and the Lord had provided for her, but she didn't have a lot. And, you know, single moms are like the heroes of our culture. It's amazing what they go through and what they do. It's just, it's, it's just phenomenal. And, and this single mom was really hurting financially. Her husband sent her a check each month, but it was hardly enough for anything. Honestly, she had four kids. Um, and so he sent money, and it was like enough maybe for groceries for like one. And so she was really struggling. She's at the, the, the church, and 
The preacher preaches on giving in this one particular service. She hears it. She's very convicted, and she realizes the Lord wants me to give. She's scared to death to do it, but she just by faith says, Lord, I hardly have enough anyways. I might as well just trust in you. So she tithes off of her income right then and there. That next week, she's offered a job. She can't believe it, a new job. And this job was really cool. It, it's a photographer's job. And they said, look, we sell cookbooks. We make cookbooks. We need you to go to the store and get a bunch of food. It, we'll have a list for you. And then prepare these really awesome meals in our ovens. And then we're going to take pictures of them for our cookbook. She's like, okay, great. So she does her job. She's like, this is kind of a fun job. It's kind of cool. So she makes this meal, just follows the instructions. And then once it's all presented, it puts it out real nice on the table. And they come in and take pictures. And so the first day, they did, you know, the first week, she, she goes, gets all this food, makes this huge meal, puts it all out there. They take beautiful pictures. She says, okay, now what do you want me to do with the food? And they're like, uh, we hadn't thought about that. And they just said, you know what? Just keep it. Now she's paid to make meals that someone else pays for that she can take home to her family every single day. God provides. God has an amazing way of providing for you. He really will. There's a single mom that I happen to know personally. Goes to our church. She's been a part of our church for, oh gosh, like 15 years. She's an incredible, godly woman. My wife and her are close friends. And uh, I remember literally 10 years ago, we were in our, in our old building. Uh, we were in the middle of a giving campaign, and people were giving and sacrificing and, and tithing and all that. And uh, in the middle of all that, uh, the Lord had placed in my heart to really challenge people to give, and, and so she really took it to heart that God wanted her to give. And, and, and she does not have a lot, and uh, she provides for her family. She has a good job, uh, but it doesn't provide a lot of extra. But she felt really compelled to give. In fact, her oldest son was sitting next to her in the sermon. i never forget this, because, because on my way out of the service, they asked to talk to me, and I was like, yeah, what's going on? And the oldest son came to me and was really upset. He was like, uh, this is wrong. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, my mom heard your sermon, feels convicted by God to give, and she already tithes. And I was like, yes, I know that your mom tithes. She's a very faithful woman to the Lord. And she goes, no, Pastor, that's not the problem. She wants to give everything. And I was like, what do you mean? She, she feels like God told her to give everything she has to drain her checking account. I was like, really? And she said, yeah, will you go over and tell her that this is not what she should do? I was like, yeah, of course. So I walked over there, and on my way over there, I felt the Lord telling me, really? You're going to tell her not to do what I just told her to do? I was like, okay. So now I'm struggling because I'm like, this doesn't make the preacher look good. She's a single mom. It was like the Lord was saying, but I want to look good. I don't really care how you look in this. I want to show my glory. So I said, okay, um, what's the deal? She said, God told me to do this, and my son won't let me. I was like, I'm not going to get between the two of you but I would just tell you whatever the Lord told you to do just to do it. And he's looking at me angry. And I understand why he's angry. He's worried about his mom. I get it. I'm, I, I totally, I, I, if I were in your shoes, I'd be mad too. But this is what God told her to do. You know, she did give everything that day. And the next week, God blessed her in a really tangible, simple way. And God has blessed her over the years. In fact, let me just fast forward the story if I can, because I've known this lady for a long time. Ten years later, about ten years later, after God's blessed her faithfully over the years, she meets a guy. In fact, actually, honestly, I know this guy, and he was really destitute when he walked in the doors. This is his own story, not mine. And he told me that he was totally broke, didn't know what to do. And God radically got a hold of him and said, you need to begin to tithe. He said, I might as well. All I have left is very little anyway, so Lord, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go bankrupt. He's literally told God, God, I'm going to go bankrupt. But anyways, here you go. And that's how he said he began to tithe. He said, God began to bless me like crazy. And I began to give more and more. He's become one of our top givers, by the way, over the last 10 years. This single mom did not know who he was, but something in my heart, just as, as I was talking to her one day, I just thought, 
really wish I could introduce her to him. Because he's a really cool guy. And he's just, you know, and so, and she told me, I'm not interested, Pastor. I'm, I'm single. That's and I was like, oh, okay. So then my wife approaches her, you know, like a couple, couple months later. Hey, remember when Bill came to you? He said, yes, y'all stopped. Quit trying to set me up. I'm fine. I was like, all right. But God would not let it off my, my, I mean, he just kept bringing it. I was like, man. So I was like, finally, I went to him. I was like, all right, look, I tried with her. I'm trying with you now. You need to go see her. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. I was like, oh, you're as bad as she is. This is ridiculous. Finally, two years later, they actually meet. We've actually cornered this guy and said, you're a freaking wuss. Go meet her right now. I mean, we were like, it was ridiculous. I mean, you, the story's so long, I don't have time to go into it. Finally, he goes and meets her, but he kind of held back on who he was or what he did. He just wanted to meet her. He's like, I don't want this woman to know anything about me. I, you know, there's probably nothing here. They met. They immediately fell in love. They got married. I mean, it was like a whirlwind romance. It was awesome. And did I mention, by the way, that he's a multimillionaire? Did I mention that? Ten years later, God blessed her in a huge way. So the moral story is, if you tie today, I'll set you up with a multi-millionaire. That's what I'm trying to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not the moral story. But it's so cool how when you trust the Lord with your resources, when you do that, you're not trusting the Lord with your checkbook. You're trusting the Lord with your life. It's never been about the money. It's about the Lord. It's about discipleship. It's about honoring God with your whole life. It's never been about the money. It wasn't with her or him, and it still isn't to this day. I texted them earlier. He said, you mind if I share your story? They said, absolutely, Pastor. God's so good. Because he is. He wants to provide for you. You have to get in on his trust program. If you'll trust him, then you will see he'll prove that he can be trusted. In fact, look what the scripture says. It says this. It's a very powerful scripture. It says in Deuteronomy 14, make an offering of 10%. The Bible's very clear on this. 10% is 10%. A tithe. That tithe actually means 10%. Of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year, bring this into the presence of God, your God, at the place he designates for worship. So we're supposed to take the 10%, not to our local charity, but to the church. God's very clear about this. Then when you give something to a local charity, that's above your 10%, actually. And so when we do that, my wife and I do that all the time. We support children in Africa. We've supported many charities, and we believe in all that, too, and I love all that. But that's not where my tithe goes. My tithe goes to the local church. And then above the tithe, we support other means as well. So number four, would you write this down? Tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity and starts the cycle of supply. It really does when you begin to tithe. What does tithing do? Let me just tell you real quick. It does three things. I want to go over this real quick, and I don't want to belittle this. And, I, and if you feel, by the way, guilted into giving something today, put your wallet up. I'm trying to teach you the truth of God's Word, and we teach all of the Word of God, not just parts of it. And this happens to be a big part of it. So I would be amiss, I would not be a, an accurate minister sharing the full truth of God's Word if I skipped the Scripture for you. Besides, I'm not trying to get something from you today. I'm trying to get something to you today. Because when you begin to honor God by giving to his house, he begins to honor you by giving to your house. So here's how it works. I give from my supply to God, then he gives from his supply to me. Which, how do you think, who's going to win in that equation? If I give a portion of what I have, and then God gives a portion of what he has, I think that's probably going to be better for me if I give just out of the little I have, and he's got a lot more than me. That's a pretty good deal. And God says that he will bless you. It's very clear. Tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity. It starts the cycle of supply. So what does tithing do? Three things tithing does, and we'll be out. Number one, tithing teaches us to put God first. It takes faith to give it first, not last, by the way. So tithing is the first 10% of what you earn, not the last. It doesn't, it's not like, well, if I have enough at the end of the month, then I'll give to God. How, how many of you guys know you're never going to have enough, right? 
It's actually the first 10% goes to God. It says in Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Number two, tithing builds our faith. It really does. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you know this is the only place in the entire Bible that God says you can test him? In fact, another part of Scripture says, don't ever test the Lord thy God. But then he says, let me make one exception. When it comes to your giving, you can test me. Why would God do that? Why would God allow this one exception to the whole testing God thing? I'll tell you why. Because he knows that this is one of the most sensitive areas to us. So he says, I want to give you an out. I will come through. I'm guaranteeing it. God says that. He says, test me, try me. And so the worst thing that can happen if you give to God and he doesn't give to you, then he just made himself a liar. Now, do you think God's a liar? I don't either. So he says, basically, I'm, off, I'm on the hook. God says, if you give, if you tithe, I'm on the hook. I have to bless you to keep my character, to keep my word, to be a, a God of integrity. I have to bless you. Why? Because I told you you could test me. He says this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Wouldn't that be a nice problem to have? Pastor, I have this huge problem. I can't find enough banks to hold on my money. Anybody had that problem? Let me know if you had that problem. Love to talk with you after church. Right? I mean, he says, I will pour out blessing upon you. Number two, tithing builds our faith. And number three, tithing provides for the work of God's church. Unapologetically, that's why we tithe. Because it provides for the work of God's church. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You know, guys, a couple months ago, a huge storm hit us. We quickly adapted as a, as a team, as a church. Our whole staff shifted everything, and we said, we're no longer a church for the next month. We are going to be a Harvey Relief Organization. And just we shifted everything. Our youth minister became the guy over distribution. Um, our HR person became the person heading up the whole team. Uh, our children's director headed out to Rockport to become the community relations for Rockport. I mean, everyone got a new job. I literally wrote new job descriptions within five minutes to everyone, and everyone just said, yes, sir, you got it, we're on it. And we became a mean, lean, evangelistic machine and went out and served Rockport like crazy. I'm so proud of that. And God began to use you because we didn't call on you and said, would you come be a part of this too? And so we shifted and changed everything. And guess what? All these big relief organizations called us. You know why? They said, we found out when we got to town that everyone said, you guys are the ones doing it. You're the ones getting it done. Can we work with you? I mean, it's pretty cool when Franklin Graham asks to partner with us. I'm thinking, we need to be partnering with you. What are you talking about? But they said, but you're on the ground. You know the people. You know where we need to go. And so all of a sudden, they saw what was happening here. God put his hand on in a special way because that's the power of the church to change people's lives in the moment they need it. That's what we do. That's what we do. And suddenly, we became a force to be reckoned with. In Rockport, Texas alone, we did what's called mud outs, where we went in people's homes and got all the sludge out of their homes and helped them clean it up. We did that with 700 homes, 3,500 volunteers in two weeks, went through 700 homes and just gave people hope and help. We fed 2,500 people a day for two weeks straight. That's the power of the local church, making an impact, making a difference. It's incredible what you could do. You know what God told me? God told me, forget about the building. The Lord told me this, just don't worry about the building. I felt like God told me, you focus on the people. And I was like, Lord, what about our building? It's broken down. What should I do? And I felt like God told me, I got that. You focus on the people. The Lord told me a long time ago, if you'll focus on building people, the people will build the church. 
You just focus on reaching people, ministering to people, helping people, meeting their needs. And that's what we did. And we didn't even worry about the building. And then God began to speak to me. In fact, I had, I had come to the point in my, in my life where just, just, I mean, three or four weeks after everything was gone and the resources, you know, they, they, they weren't really coming in. They were coming in for Harvey. They were coming, but it was just like, okay, Lord, I guess we'll just, we just won't have a Rockport location. I mean, you know, there's other places we don't have locations. I guess, you know, maybe that's just what you want. And then the phone, the phone rang, and right after I'm praying about this, within minutes of me praying about this, thinking, I guess that's just the way it happens. Phone rings, and it's a pastor in San Antonio at Community Bible Church. Many of you guys know the church. Friends of the, the former pastor, I'm also friends with the current pastor. And, and Ed Newton called me up and said, hey, pastor, I need, to, I need to come see you. And I was like, why? He said, uh, well, I want to I bring you a check. I was like, well, you could just mail a check. Why are we coming all this way? Just, I mean, really, honored you want to do that. And we want to use that resources. And I went into the whole spiel. I'd already gone to 100 times. We'll get it in the rock for Make sure it gets in people's hands. He goes, no, no, pastor, stop talking. I said, okay. What? And he said, I, I, I'm not... I'm not calling to give you resources to help out with Rockport. You guys are already doing that. Everyone knows it. Everyone's talking about it. We know you're kicking butt there. So, okay, then what are you call me for? I'm not bringing you a check for Rockport. I'm bringing you a check to rebuild your church. Was it enough for the whole church? No, of course not. But you know what? It was God telling me, I told you, you focus on the people, I'll take care of buildings. And money begin to pour in, and it's not all in. We're, we're not fully there because I don't believe it's God's will for other people to pay for our church. I don't. I believe that we are supposed to have, as a church, skin in the game as well. Would you agree with that? And so, I mean, how, when you give a teenager something for free, how do they take care of it? When they have skin in the game, how do they take care of it? Right? So I believe God wants us to have skin in the game and the sacrifice as well. But God has blessed us with resources coming in, even for this. Most, most of it was to help Rockport, direct, of course, and that's what we do. But, but also resources have come in even for our building, but we know we still have a ways to go. Then, in the middle of all this, I have an architect that we already had under contract that's, that's drawing a building for us in San Antonio. That architect called me and said, Pastor, I know that you lost your building in Rockport. I was like, yeah. He goes, send me pictures. I was like, Why? I mean, I know him, and he's a nice guy, and I was like, Ben, why do you need pictures? He goes, because God also told me that if I'm going to draw this building for you in San Antonio, I'm going to draw for free a building for you in Rockport, Texas. So he did that. And so I'm excited to show you, this is our first step in telling you that Rockport is going to get a brand new building, and I want to show you the brand new Rockport Fulton Church Unlimited that we're about to unveil. Please check out this picture. And as great as that is, and as exciting as it is, and we have lots of needs, and sure, we're trying to build a building in San Antonio, too, and, you know, it's not about buildings, guys, so I want to go back to this. It's never been about buildings around, around here. And no, today, I'm not trying to convince you to give to a, a building program. Right now. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to ask you to understand what the tithe is all about. And so here's what I did. I just thought, you know what? I'm just curious. You know, just in the last week, while I'm laying on my back, you know, and just trying to get healed up, and I mean, you know, I was in a lot of pain. I was like, Lord, why am I on my back? And that's a great time with God when you're doing that. I mean, you have nowhere to go, can't move, you know, just laying there, just praying, seeking God, that kind of thing. But this last week, I just thought, I wonder, I wonder what kind of ministry happened just a week in the life of Church Unlimited that you support every week. I just want to show you what the regular tithe goes to. And so I just quickly, just today, texted a bunch of the pastors, the campus pastors as well as other pastors on our staff at all of our different locations, just said, could you just shoot me a one line? I'm just curious, so guys, what you guys did this week to help people. I'm just curious, what does our tithe go to? Wouldn't it be kind of cool to know that? 
So here is just the last seven days. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about Rockport. We're talking about the storm. Oh, that's great, but I, I, didn't, I didn't factor any of that in. I just said, last seven days, what happened in the life of our church? Here's the list I got back. I was able to help a young man who blames God for the death of his cousin. Another pastor said, I was able to be there for a family who lost their son. Their son was only 35. I believe that a life was saved at the funeral service today because we had the opportunity to share God's gift of salvation in a packed chapel. Another one of our campuses, a guy said, I counseled a gentleman and his future wife that fell into sexual sin before marriage. Another one of our campuses, a pastor said, I counseled a volunteer and encouraged him to fight for his marriage. One of our other campuses, said, one of campus pastors said, I went and ministered to a lady and her family when she had a bad car accident. I was there within 15 minutes of the accident, prayed with her and her family while waiting for the CT scans to come back. Another one of our pastors said, I encouraged business leaders this week to live like Jesus in a meeting that they had. Another campus pastor said, I prayed with a person whose mother is very sick and undergoing tests. Another one of our pastors said, I counseled a couple to put God first and seek support. In their relationship, the gentleman is suffering through PTSD and lost his faith in the goodness of God after all he had seen in war. Another one of our pastors said, I ministered to a first impression volunteer who lost his father this week and comforted him with God's word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Another one of our campus pastors said, I counseled a man who had been battling a 12-year addiction to be able to stay sober with the power of God's word as well as a young lady to stop cutting herself with the support of the Holy Spirit's counsel. Will you support that? That's just the last seven days. You have no idea the depth of human pain that we get to minister to every week around here. You have no idea the trauma, the pain, the difficulty, the hopelessness that the average person feels. And God has an answer for the average person who's hurting and hopeless. And guess what the answer is called? It's called the local church. It's what we do every single week. It's why I get up in the morning. It's what our team does, caring for the needs of people who are hurting and who are broken. That is what the tithe is for. Will you give to that? Will you support the work of God? Will you reorient your life around making sure that God's house has the resource base to do the work of God here and around the world. That's why we do what we do. That's why we exist, is to minister to the real hurting, broken needs of people who need to know there is a God who loves them because he's real. That's what we do every single week. Thanks for letting me share about why we give, what we give to, how we give, how much we give. There's actually a reason behind it. And it's not so we can pay the bills. It's so we can minister, so we can really help people who are hurting, who are lost, who really do need Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Would you bow your head with me? With every head bowed, every eye closed, we just take a moment to pray. If God is speaking to you about breaking the cycle of scarcity and stepping up and saying, God, I want to begin to tithe. I want to begin the cycle of supply. I don't want to live in fear financially anymore. I want to trust that you're covering me, God. If that's you today, if God is speaking to you about reorienting your life around generosity, no one's looking around. 
You're not making a commitment to me. You're making a commitment to God. If you know God's talking to you, you say, Lord, I get it. I get it. I don't want to be giving 2.8% to God and others and claiming I'm generous when I live in the wealthiest nation in the world. I want to be a disciple. I want to make an impact. I want to know that my life matters beyond just going to work and buying a new car and a new house every once in a while. I want to make an impact. God's speaking to you about breaking that cycle of scarcity and starting the cycle of supply. Would you lift your hand high to God and say, God, I just commit that to you. I'm scared to do it, Lord, but I just trust you by faith. I'm just going to do this. Thank you. And for those of you who your hands aren't up, but you've already been giving faithfully, we just want to say thank you. We couldn't do what we do without your continued tithe. The impact you make is larger than you could ever imagine. If you could just be a fly in the wall on all those counseling moments when people are so hurting, cutting themselves, thinking about taking their own life, ending their marriage, wondering if their wayward child will come back. That's what we get to do every day is minister to the real, broken, hurting people, just like you and I. And maybe you've been that person who's been ministered to by this very church. And today you get to say, Lord, I want to now pay it forward because you've healed my heart. You've helped me through that dark moment. And so I get to be a part of a movement that I've been swept into because I've been changed. And now I want to help change other people. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, those of you who have never given, life, given your life to Christ before, I want to encourage you today, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die, but instead have eternal life, that means heaven, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can receive Christ right now by praying a very simple prayer. We're going to pray this prayer out loud together across all of our campuses, and you can receive Jesus right now. You can say this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins. And you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord. And be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.